Well, there's a good reason for singing that song before this sermon. Uh, the concept of Jesus being an unrivaled king, uh, that language doesn't run throughout the New Testament uh, book that we call Colossians. But that concept certainly does. Why? Because the whole book answers this question, what if, what if we've missed out on something really important? What if the one thing that we've come to rely on most to give meaning to our lives, to, to orient who we are, to give purpose to our existence, what if that one thing that we've come to depend on most isn't enough? That's the question that people living in the city called Colossae were wrestling with after they had heard good news about Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter called Colossians, but the Colossians didn't hear about Jesus from Paul. They heard from a younger man named Epaphras, and they started asking a question. I watched a movie with my son last night called A Serious Man. And this guy's going through a huge crisis, and he wants, he's Jewish, he wants to talk to the rabbi. And they send him to the junior rabbi instead. Epaphras was like the junior rabbi, right? There were people in, in Colossae going, wait a minute. What if we got a second-rate version of this story about Jesus? Because we didn't hear it from Paul himself. And so, we heard enough about Jesus to know that he takes care of the future. That in the future, when we come face-to-face with God, and there's this moment where God says to every person, either... You faithfully bore my image. You faithfully reflected to my world, my character. Or he says, you failed. In that moment, we have nothing to worry about because Jesus has taken care of our future. Epaphras told us that. We believe it. That's great. But what if it's not enough? Jesus takes care of the future. But what about right now? There are still some really powerful things going on in our world, and and we're quite afraid of them. And so, we wonder if we need another king in addition to Jesus. Now, if we're looking at the history of how the the message about Jesus spread around the ancient world, there are three journeys that the Apostle Paul takes uh, according to the book of Acts. That third journey took him through a, a, a region called Galatia that he had visited on all three of these journeys. But then it took him to some new territory in what today is called Turkey. Then it would be called Asia Minor. And um, it took him through a city called Laodicea right here, but not through the city of Colossae, about 30 miles away. So, you know, big arrows marking the map. Paul went here, not there. Which led to this sense that maybe we heard a second-rate sermon about Jesus from the JV preacher, Epaphras. And so we're going to go out and borrow from other religions to fill out 
what we need that Jesus hasn't covered. Jesus covers the future. Great. We love him. We trust him. He's our king for the future. But for right here and right now, we're going to borrow from a little bit from Judaism and a little bit from the religions of Rome and Greece. And we'll piece together what we need. And so uh, a new kind of problem happened. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the problem in that region called Galatia which looked like this. There was fear that some of the new converts to Christianity were going to bring in a a history of being kind of loose morally. And they weren't real spiritually serious. So you got to prove to us that you really belong by achieving more. But those achievements came from within the boundaries of the Christian community. It'd be like today somebody saying, do more of the stuff that Christians do to prove that you're really serious about Jesus. Do more of worship, do more of Bible, do more of praying, things that are already within the boundaries of our faith. In the book of Colossians, it takes a new twist. There's still a Jesus plus message in this city of Colossae, but it comes from a totally different fear. The fear now is there are these powerful spiritual beings. Carrie's going to read for us in a moment. And you'll hear reference to powers and authorities, principalities, kind of like chief demons, right? And they influence the here and now. And Jesus is taking care of the future, and thank you, Jesus, for that. But what about right now? So we've got we to add some insurance And we're going to borrow bits and pieces from other religions outside the boundaries of the Christian faith and community. You see the distinction there? So Galatians is all about prove you belong by doing more of the stuff inside the boundaries of who we are. And Colossians is dealing with a different kind of fear and a different kind of problem. So today we want to get a taste of what's God saying to us through this letter that we call the book of Colossians. So we're going to hear the Apostle Paul say, don't be afraid. You're not missing out. You didn't hear a second-rate Jesus. You don't need to add anything to who he is and what he's done and what he offers. He is all the fullness you need. Keep your ears open for those themes as Carrie reads for us. Thanks, Carrie. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom, all, or in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding fine arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's this story in our family lore that raises an interesting question. How can you run out of gas when the tank is full? Because it happened to my uncle once. Right, my dad had bought this new truck and it had all the fancy bells and whistles on it. <clears throat> and um, my uncle needed to borrow it. Uh, so he, uh, you know, doing the polite thing when you borrow somebody's vehicle, you stop and you fill the tank up for them. And so my uncle did this and was driving home to return the truck to my dad. And he's messing with the air conditioner, hot day, you know, steamy summer, South Carolina. And as he's reaching for the air conditioner, he, he, he starts to feel all the signs that you're running out of gas, right? Like skipping and jumping. You first hear the noises and you don't think too much about it. And then you hear bigger noises and, and the engine starts to sputter and it gets your attention. And then he coasts to a stop on the side of the road. And he looks at the gauge and it says dead empty. And he's like, 15 minutes ago I filled this thing up. <clears throat> what in the world's wrong? Well, it was a fancy new truck that had two gas tanks on it, right? Some of you may have had something like this. Poor design, the, um, the switch to change tanks was right beside the air conditioner switch. So inadvertently, he had flipped it. And so two tanks, one of which was absolutely full and the other of which was bone dry. How can you run out of gas when you just filled up the tank, Right? Colossians is kind of asking that question. Is Jesus going to do that to us? Is Jesus going to fill up one tank, but there's another tank that's totally empty at the same time? When we come to Jesus, are we going to find that, that he takes care of some of the things that are most important in life? But then we start to lean on him and rely on him and find that, that the real things, day to day, here and now, he doesn't touch them. His faith in Jesus like that. And the book of Colossians is God's way of saying, no, it's not like that. Coming to Jesus is not going to leave us empty uh, it's not going to leave us full in some areas and empty in others. So today we want to think about fullness and walk through some questions related to it. One would be this question of what does this fear that we can't have fullness do to us? And, and then what, what does God promise us about fullness? And we want to close by asking the question... What does that promise do to us? The fear can do something to us, and then God speaks to that fear. And what kind of change does that lead to? What kind of response does that lead to in our lives? 
So we'll start with this first question. What does a fear that we can't have fullness do to us? It makes us vulnerable. Vulnerable to what the, the Scripture text here calls hollow and deceptive philosophies. Um, in a moment, we'll meet uh, a couple of friends of mine from St. Louis. For now, we want to say what, what the text means when it talks about hollow and deceptive philosophies. That's language from verse 8 of Colossians chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Some people read that and they hear, oh, this is, this is the Bible telling us that philosophy is bad and that Jimmy shouldn't have majored in philosophy when he was a student in college. Uh, now, whether you should major in philosophy at an engineering school like Clemson, another, another conversation, right? I would say, yeah, because it's a real small department. You get a lot of one-on-one attention from the professors. <laughs> um, but is philosophy a bad thing? Well, it's two uses of the word philosophy. There's a narrow definition of philosophy that says it's the use of reason in the pursuit of truth. The Bible is not saying to us that it's wrong to use your brain when you're trying to assess what's true and what's false. That it's wrong to know what philosophers have said in the past. That it's wrong to think critically. All the things that a discipline like philosophy would teach us to do. The word here is being used in a much broader sense. First of all, it's being used in the first century, not the 18th or 19th or 20th or 21st centuries when the word philosophy came to have this much narrower meaning. When Paul uses the term in his century and in his culture, he's talking about any system that makes moral or spiritual or intellectual truth claims. Today, we would, we would say religions make moral and uh, uh, spiritual truth claims. Religions would fall under the heading of philosophy in Paul's day. And so would things that we today would call philosophies. Anything that has a worldview would fall under that broader use. So what Paul is saying to us in the context is any system that makes any kind of claim about moral, spiritual, or intellectual truth that promises goodness that can be found outside of what Jesus is and what Jesus does and what Jesus offers is bankrupt no matter how positive the language used to describe it. So in the ancient world, to call something a philosophy was a compliment. To call something a tradition was a compliment. So Paul says, don't let anybody take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition. Positive language. Compliments. But if it's telling you to look for something good outside of Jesus, then it's hollow, it's empty, and don't do it. Fear that we might not have fullness makes us vulnerable to anything that offers fullness to us, right? If I'm afraid that Jesus isn't going to fill up all the tanks I have then I start looking for the switch and find the way to fill the void. 
So meet a couple of friends of mine. Uh, This is Larry on the left and Julius on the right, and they were news anchors. They're both retired now uh, in St. Louis, where uh, Trisha and I lived for 13 years. And a news story one night about this woman, very sad. She had fallen prey, vulnerable, to several get-rich-quick schemes. And she had, you know, paid the money to get buy in to the pyramid scheme. And uh, her home, after she passed away, was found to be filled with literature and the little trinkets that they would send as, you know, sort of the first round gift you bought in. And a very, very sad situation. She had spent all of her retirement income on uh, these things. It's vulnerable. You want fullness. You don't have it. Somebody says you can get it. You can buy it here. No, not here, here. No, not here, there. So, very sad story. And at the end of the story, Julius says, it just goes to show you if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And Larry says, and now for tonight's winning lottery numbers. (laughs) Right? You see the disconnect, don't you? Where you can look and, and you know, you know something isn't right, but you're going to find a way to fit it in. I know get-rich-quick schemes are too good to be true. I know it. I'm going to say it and broadcast it. And yet, I still think it's okay for us to say this thing about the lottery. I'm going to find a way to fit the lottery into my thinking, even though I know the fullness it promises is empty. That's what fear, that we can't have fullness in Jesus, does to the Christian heart. It it makes you begin to say, There are some things in our world that sound so good and so right and so true that even though I know they're bankrupt, I'm going to find a way to fit them in because I'm afraid my life won't be full. I'm afraid somehow faithfulness to Jesus will make me miss out. Here are some of those empty philosophies that are alive in our world, in our day. Not ancient Greek philosophies like Stoicism and Cynicism. We read about those like they're ancient history, right? We wouldn't think that Zeus and Hera could offer us any fullness that Jesus can't. Here are the things that we're most likely to to say. I know Jesus offers me fullness, but these things sound so good. I'm going to find a way to fit them in. The sense of moral autonomy. I can do whatever I want. That's a worldview. That's all around us every day. There are voices in our culture saying that. You have freedom. No duty constrains you. You can do whatever you want. And if you're afraid that Jesus offers you fullness in some areas, 
but not fullness in every area. And that can start to sound good. Jesus, thank you very much for taking care of my future, but here and now I can do whatever I want, right? Material prosperity. I can have as much as I want. Jesus, thank you for taking care of my future, but here and now I'm afraid I might miss out on having and so I'm going to have and have and have and take and keep. And even if I only have a little, and keep a little. Even if I decide to tidy up a lot, the stuff I have, I'm going to keep for me. If I'm afraid that not having will make me empty, then I'm going to find a way to make this kind of materialism fit in with my faith in Jesus. That fear of emptiness makes me think that might be a good way to fill up. Or relational autonomy. I can care as little as I want. I don't really have to love other people. I don't have to get involved in the lives of other people. Uh, If I can be involved through social media, I can turn that off when I'm done with people. I don't have to actually sit in the room with people and look at their faces and interact with them. I don't have to have friends that make me uncomfortable. I'm just going to tell you a secret, right? If I'm your friend, do not assume that you don't annoy me. Right? Because one thing Jesus will teach you in a hurry is you need to love other people, whether they bother you or not. And, and that goes both ways. If you spend time with me and you seem to enjoy it, I don't assume that I don't really irritate you. In fact, I know I do really irritate you in a lot of ways. I know that I make promises I don't keep. I know I talk too much. I know all those things. Because in Jesus... I I know there's this sense of we have to care a whole lot about a whole lot of people, even if they make us a bit uncomfortable and kind of annoy us and have some rough edges. So I'm sorry to break that to you, right? But I had a guy one time say to me, you know, it's whole world is crashing down. And I was learning all kinds of terrible secrets about what was going on uh, in his family and in his own heart and life. And he said, I'm sorry, I thought we could be friends. And I said, man, this is how I make friends. <laughs> the students I became closest to usually were the ones who um, complained the most or cheated. And, uh, <laughs> right. But we get into, we buy into this sense of, I just don't have to care about people except the ones I want to care about. And if I told you I'd care about you, but I've stopped wanting to, that's okay. I can walk away. Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I won't find fullness. And this is a way for me to guard against the emptiness. If we're afraid that we won't find fullness, it does some bad stuff to us. We're going to walk back through those concepts in a minute. Let's hear what God says to us when we're afraid that we don't have fullness. 
He says that through Jesus, we do have fullness. There aren't any gaps in what Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus offers. And so you hear this language all throughout the passage that we read earlier. Right? In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You don't have to look for the next greatest thing after you know Jesus. Learn more of Jesus. Grasp more of Him. And you will find all the wisdom and knowledge you need. You don't need to say, I have faith in Jesus and I have this other coping strategy. He becomes the strategy for finding fullness. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And and Paul went on to just say this thing over and over and over again, didn't he? Verse 9, In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. God took on human flesh. In Jesus. I don't need to go out and find another God, another, Luke used the language earlier, idol, to give me fullness. If I know Jesus, I have all I need to know about who God is and what God is like. There's not going to be an empty space left for me to fill in by some other strategy. Verse 10 says, you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. The Colossians were thinking, thank you, Epaphras, Mr. Junior Rabbi, for telling us about Jesus, who takes care of our future. But let's be real about the here and now. There are powers and authorities. There are demigods, not quite gods, not quite humans. There are demons, spirits between heaven and earth, and they control our fate, and we cannot resist them, so we need strategies. And in our day, these are our strategies for fighting the things we can't resist. I can do whatever I want becomes the strategy for battling this irresistible sense that if I have duties to do certain things, then that constrains my freedom. And I cannot resist the fear that comes if you tell me I have to give up freedom. That fear grips me, and so the only response I have is to say, but can't I have Jesus and do whatever I want at the same time? And here's Paul saying, no, that thing you think can't be resisted, that irresistible pull of freedom to do whatever you want, Jesus can change you and cause you to enjoy doing your duty to love God and to love your neighbor. Giving up your freedom because you have fullness in Jesus becomes a joyous way to experience real freedom. 
but, but what about this, I can have as much as I want? That's a coping strategy to deal with a deeper, irresistible power and force. That force is, I want to have enough to prove I am a success. Now, in many cultures, having is just a way of surviving for the next day. In our culture, for most of us, having, possessing, accumulating is a way of showing I have succeeded. And the fear that other people would look at me and say, you didn't succeed, you failed, is too powerful to to resist. So, Jesus, can I be yours and still gather and have and accumulate as much as I want and use it all to prove that I am somebody. That's hard to resist. And Jesus says, let me give you fullness. Fullness. Enough fullness to be able to say, sometimes, yeah, I'm going to fail. Sometimes I'm not going to have enough. Sometimes... This is going to be hard to not have as much as I think I need. Sometimes it can be really hard to give things away so that your needs can be met. But Jesus gives us fullness, set us free from that fear, that sense of relational autonomy that says, if I commit to loving you, then there may be some other desire I have that has to go unmet. And you can't blame me for giving in to that fear. It's irresistible. The sense that all desires I have need to be fulfilled. And the sense that you're not worth giving up my desires. You can forgive me for that, right? I mean, it's like this demigod in the ancient world. It's like that powerful authority or spiritual force that I cannot resist. And so, Jesus, can I have you and keep these strategies for coping with those powerful things? No, you don't need them. In Christ, all the fullness of who God is lives. And you have been given fullness in Christ You don't need to find the next big thing if you have Jesus. You just need more hunger for Jesus. And here's what that kind of promise that we have fullness in Him does to us. It turns us into lions. There are... um, Stories told among the Maasai people in Africa of what it's like to lead foreigners on safari. And one of those stories runs like this and says, you know, the, um, the white hunter who comes on safari, uh, he never gets enough. He kills a rhino And the moment he pulls the trigger, he's already thinking about killing the next big trophy to hang on his wall. Never satisfied, never enough. Never gives his full attention to any one animal because he's always looking for the next big thing. And the Maasai say, the lion is not like this. The lion 
in the hunt focuses his entire attention on one gazelle. Every other gazelle on the planet has disappeared because the lion knows if I catch this one, I will be full. If I miss this one, I will go hungry. And so all of the lion's attention and focus is on that one gazelle. The lion is very different from the white hunter, the Messiah say. And Paul says, Christian, be a lion. You don't need to wait for the next big thing to come into your life. You don't need to have Jesus and wait for the next big sexual adventure to come your way to find fullness. You don't need to have Jesus and wait for the next big promotion and raise to come your way to find fullness. You don't need to have Jesus and wait to find just that right friendship that will give you all you need without demanding anything of you. If you have Jesus, then learn more of Jesus. Because in Him, we have fullness. It is enough for us to be lions and to let all the other saviors disappear. Because only one exists in our world. And He will be enough for us in the future and in the here and now. Let's pray together. Jesus, give, a, give us, we pray, this, the wisdom that the Messiah have seen. The wisdom of the lion who focuses his whole being in one place. May we focus our whole being on you. And stop waiting for the next big thing that will fill us up. May we find our fullness in you. Thank you for the words that have spoken this promise to us today from Scripture. And now we look to see the same promise in the sacrament, the supper that you have commanded and at which you are present. Continue to feed us around your table, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.